So we are concluding a series today called When Love Comes to Town. We've been looking at uh, the the transformation that happens when individuals literally come face to face with Jesus and the power that he brings. Um, We've been looking at uh, making a new focus in our lives, in our regular in our regular interactions and taking baby steps in maybe impacting four people in our lives for the gospel based on the transformation that has happened in our own lives. And so today we're looking at another encounter that Jesus had with an individual in which not only did he experience trans- transformation but also his family and the community around him. And so the, the story that's in John chapter 9, the story of the blind man healed, that is a, dating all the way to early church history, that was a traditional sermon for the Lenten season. It was a story that was part of a journey that ended on Easter that focused on baptism this story is surrounded by, by symbolism of water being a transformative thing in people's lives. This transformation that we all need in our lives because of the stain of, of sin. And the cleansing properties that water has is a just constant symbol in Scripture of the cleansing power that we need that can only come from Jesus. This past Wednesday, there was a day set apart in the Christian calendar for the forgiveness of sins, Ash Wednesday. It was a focus on the atonement for sins and the sign that sins have been forgiven. And it begins the season of Lent that leads up into Easter. And while we don't necessarily officially observe Lent as a part of the uh, Roman Catholic calendar, we live in a place where we're going to hear about it, right? Whether it means that we are seeing the fish fries on every corner and we are like, yes, or maybe it is another opportunity for us to practice uh, fasting and prioritizing prayer um, um, in our lives. That is always something that we can do. So whether you, whatever end of the fish fry to fasting spectrum that you find yourself on. Lent is always a good reminder that we all need to fast and pray regularly. And so how appropriate is it that we are closing out this series on life transformation and starting this Lenten season with a story of of transformation? And so Jesus comes face to face with religious leaders who are again having their grip, their stubborn grip on putting the law above a relationship with God, putting the law above following God. We'll be in John chapter 9 verses 1 through 12, and in the preceding chapters, Jesus had just challenged the religious leaders in a very big way, at one of their largest festivals. 
This was a festival that was meant to commemorate and to remember the provision of the Lord when the Israelites were wandering through the wilderness. The the Feast of the Tabernacle had a water theme to it. These prophecies that go back to Elijah pointed towards living water coming for the people of God. And Jesus stood up on the last day of that festival and said, I am the source of that living water. Obviously, this angered a lot of the more passionate Jews present, and they wanted to stone him. Jesus, avoiding this, leaves the festival. We're not exactly sure how long after we catch up with Jesus in chapter 9, but it probably wasn't long after Jesus has just escaped this stoning after his big proclamation, but he doesn't slow down. And so that's where we find him in John chapter 9. We're going to be in verses 1 through 12. So if you would read with me. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when... no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. And others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go wash, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and I received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. We see at the beginning of this passage, we see Jesus's disciples asking the wrong questions from the start as they do over and over and over again. They were focusing on the why of the man's sin. Blindness, like a lot of other illnesses in the, um, in the ancient world, were w- without cures many, many times. And so a lot of times there was this direct association with personal sin of either a person or a person's parents that caused great affliction. The greater the affliction, probably the greater the personal sin was a common belief among people at that time. And so it would be very easy for us to hear the question of the disciples and say, okay, I would never ask that. Or focus on the religious leaders who maybe actually thought, hey, there was a great sin in this man's life. It would be easy for us to identify with the man who was healed. 
for anybody here who has experienced the lifting of spiritual blindness, we would easily identify with the blind man. We would easily say, that, that's me in the story. But how often do we get caught up in the weeds and get caught up in the questions that really are not the main point? Jesus models very well here how he quickly gets away from the, d- d- from the d- d- debate that will take away from his ultimate purpose there. And he answers with a very, a very basic, very s- simple answer. He says, he says, neither. Neither this man nor his parents have sinned to cause this. Now, Jesus knew there were scholars at the time who were even debating whether or not a baby could sin while in the womb. And this consumed debates after debate. And Jesus knew that these things were happening, and he knew he could easily walk in there and answer all of those questions. But he also knew, that's not why I'm here. I'm not here to answer that question. I am here to proclaim the glory of God and to point others towards him. And so while the disciples were focused on the why of the brokenness, why, what sin caused this blindness, why is this happening? Jesus focused on the how can this be used for my glory. It's a great model for us where even Jesus's disciples ran into a roadblock, Jesus saw an opportunity. And oftentimes where man sees an obstacle, Jesus is going to find a way for it to be used for God's glory. We're very good at finding obstacles. We're very good at finding reasons as to why this could never be used for good. And so after Jesus explains this, what follows is obviously the miracle of this man's healing. Jesus really understands that his time on earth is short, and so it is imperative that he point as many people to his his Father's glory as possible, as quickly as possible. So he spits into mud, creates a clay, and puts it on the man's eyes and asks him to go wash in the pool that he has just declared himself the source of living water at. So he was just at the pool, which was a central part of the festival of the tabernacle, and he sends him back to that pool to wash, and he is healed. So it's a really cool full circle of Jesus's declaring his own power as the living water, and then for the water where he declared that to be used in the healing of this man. I don't think it's by accident that Jesus wanted the symmetry of that healing. But what is so interesting to me about this story is that we get the healing, the entire healing, in about three, three, three verses. We get a few questions in the, in the front part of the chapter. Then that entire chapter is 41 verses long. The entire rest of the chapter is the impact of the healing and the questions that are asked after that. 
we, we're not going to read all of it, but we see at the beginning that the d- d- disciples are focused on why was this man blind. Later, we see the Pharisees conducting an investigation. Who was this man who healed him? Okay, it was Jesus. We caught him. When he healed this man became the major sticking point there. The Pharisees talked to the man's parents, talked to people who were there, talked to the man. The parents were concerned with what is the impact on our lives going to be. We know our son has experienced this spiritual transformation as a result of his healing. So what is the impact on our life going to be based on our answers to the Pharisees? So we had the disciples concerned with why. We had, the, we had the Pharisees concerned with when. We had the parents concerned with, oh man, what is going to happen to us? What are the consequences on us going to be in this largely communal place? But John does a very good job of going back at the end of the chapter and Jesus comes back to the man who was, who was formerly blind. And he says in verse 39, he says, for judgment I came into, into the world so that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. So the actual physical healing not the most important part. The flashy part that we are probably going to focus on as people, not the most important part of the story. We as people love flashy stuff. We love it. And I know this because we just spent a few weeks with sparkly jackets, sparkly shoes, sparkly floats, sparkly animals being thrown from those floats. We probably threw more elbows than we're proud of to get those sparkly things. We hoist children as high as we possibly can without them falling off of a ladder to get as many of the sparkly things as we can. Our voices are hoarse at the end of the night, and as any of you who have been to one of these parades can attest, you want it. You want it. In that hour and a half that you are at the parade, or hours and hours, all day even, as you get a sunburn, you want it. Now, I don't know what your timeline is after a, after, a, after a parade. I know for me, very quickly, within the first few minutes after that fire truck c- comes, I don't want it anymore. <laughs> I don't want any of it. Maybe it's a couple of days as it's on your carpet and you're like, man, this glitter's never going to come up. Maybe I don't know when it is, but at some point, that sparkly stuff that we have assigned a whole lot of value to and given a whole lot of time of our lives to loses a whole lot of value very quickly. And so in this story, the flashy part is not the lasting part of the story. Like, yes, this man received his sight. That will change his life forever. For the first time, he can see But the spiritual transformation that happens in this man's life is the most important part of this story. Now, hear me say, I love Mardi Gras. I walked about 100,000 steps in a few few parades because I love it a whole lot. But it really is a good metaphor for what we are drawn to. We're drawn to the flashy stuff that loses a lot of its value very 
quickly. And so even the Pharisees were focused on the flashy part, which wasn't the most important part. The most important part here was that this man told his story again and again and again and again. And so Jesus knew that spiritual blindness is a lot more difficult to heal than physical blindness. He knew the cost he was about to pay for the spiritual blindness of the world was his life as he bore that weight. The cost of healing this man of physical blindness was some saliva and mud. But he knew that the ultimate price was going to be paid not too long after. And so if we look back at verses 9 through 12, after this man is healed, he relays his story. He then has to give it again and again and again for the rest of the chapter as he is interrogated over and over and over again. The Pharisees don't like his answers. He is thrown out of the temple. And that's where we find him talking with Jesus later. But again, the most important part of this isn't that he was healed of his physical blindness. It is that that story was told over and over and over again in the right places. Jesus didn't heal this man because he had some important things for this man to read. He didn't have some important artwork for him to look at. He didn't heal this man so that he could see. He healed him to bring glory to God, to point to the ultimate source of that power. Now, it's hard for us a lot of times to reconcile why we have the story that we have. I'm sure for this man, he went through his whole life not looking forward to this day that he didn't realize was coming. He didn't say, man, I am sure at some point my blindness, the fact that I have never been able to see, the fact that I am begging on the side of the road, that I am ostracized from my community here, I'm sure this will turn out fine. I I am sure there are things about our lives that we walk around with, why is this a part of of my story? But we all have a story, right? We all have a story, and it is all for the glory of God. So what's your story? What has God done in you? In, in, in your life. We all have a story, right? We, we, we all know that there's people who are probably going to try to explain away the works of God, try to explain away the works and the miracles that God can work and he does work in people's lives. But the beauty of miracles like this man being healed or like the spiritual transformation that happened in his life or many all of the spiritual transformation that's happened in this room, it can only be explained by the power of Jesus. And so I think about my own life. I, th- I think about the fact that if anybody ever gets anything out of any words that I speak, if, if anybody is pointed towards Jesus because of words that come out of my mouth, it is not because I am a good speaker, obviously. It is because of the glory of God in my life. A little bit of a broader example. I think about Hurricane Katrina. We look at the 
just total destruction and death and hopelessness that happened in that time in our city. We thought, man, what could possibly come out of this that is good? There's nothing good about this. And there doesn't have to be anything good about that. But the the cool thing about God is he doesn't need something good to be used for his glory. He can use anything for his glory. And he did. I know there are probably story after story after story in this room of people who have had something happen to them, something they have walked through that could have only been used for good because of God. And that's true time after time after time after time. So again, what's your story? How are you using it? How are you leveraging the fact that God is using your life for his glory for the kingdom? Maybe your story still includes spiritual blindness. Maybe you haven't received that spiritual sight, that spiritual trans, 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 transformation that happens as a result of a relationship with Christ. Maybe you have experienced that spiritual blindness being lifted. Who have you told about it? Who is one step closer to life trans, trans, transformation because of your story? How are you using your story for the kingdom? I'm sure this man would not have asked for his story to include him being blind from, from birth. He wouldn't have asked for that. Many of us would not have asked for the story that we have, but we have it, right? How are we using it for the kingdom of God? In the end, it's really not even our story. This man's story of blindness, Jesus says right here, it doesn't matter who, who sinned to make this man blind. This man being blind is going to be used to bring glory to my heavenly father. So it's not even his story. He's a small part of God's glory being made known on earth for Jesus to declare who he is on earth. And for anybody in the room who has experienced spiritual transformation in their life, it's not your story. How are you stewarding it? God has given it to you. So if you're just wondering how, how do I use this story. Who do I even tell? Start with four. Then keep going. Don't stop with, don't stop with four. I was talking with somebody recently who said, can I have more? Yes. Yes, you can have more than four. You should have more than four. This is a small step. But start with four. Look around you. Who needs to hear your story? We're going to have a time of response, and uh, I want you to pray. What am I doing with my story? Lord, how do you want me to use my story to impact the world, my world, my spheres for your kingdom? Maybe, you're, maybe, maybe there is somebody who has been on y- 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 your heart, and you just don't know where to start. Come and pray. 
we're going to respond, and I want you to respond in the pew. I want you to respond in the front. If you want to come down and pray with one of our prayer counselors, pray with us, please. That's why we're here. But use this time to, re- re- to respond. This is a response time for you. Maybe you want to be a part of a church, and we can be a part of your story. We would love that. We would love it. But we're going to respond. I'm going to pray. Then we're going to respond. So pray with me. God, I thank you for just uh, how much you love us, that you love us so much that you can turn all the hurt, all the pain that we have ever experienced into your glory, into your good. And so, God, I just pray that we would just be able to rest in that. God, that we would know, hey, God has a plan for this. And so, God, I pray if there's anybody in this room who maybe hasn't experienced the total life transformation that has happened because of a relationship with you, God, I pray that you would just start moving in their hearts right now. God, I pray for those in this room who have experienced that. I pray that you would work in their hearts to use that for your kingdom. God, that you would just move in our lives in such a way that we cannot help but to impact the world for your kingdom. Again, I I thank you so much that we don't have to do that alone. God, that you have called us, that you have redeemed us, and that you are with us every step of the way. And so God, I just pray for this time. Pray if you are moving in the hearts of anybody in this room, I pray that they would feel it. God, that you would just angle our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. God, that we would just be obedient to you. And I pray all these things in your, in your son's name. Amen.